Hello and welcome to the Saturday Outside Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor O'Gara. Marler, we are sitting here on the eve of the Sweet 16. Not the eve of the Sweet 16. The eve, eve of the Sweet 16. Well, what it's are you Tuesday. talking about? Yeah, um, you know how like you celebrate Christmas Eve, Eve? That's a real thing? This seems different than that, but yeah. Yeah, um, this is basically the same thing, in my opinion. Um, okay. I am already itching for more basketball. I don't know about you, but I hit Tuesday, and I, I've forgotten what day of the week it is. It's just a day without basketball. I'm How addicted. awful was Monday? Oh, it was brutal. It's it's. It, I think it's the. I think it's a worse sports day than the Monday after the Super Bowl. It's I terrible. think it is. I had to watch uh, the NBA last night, and um, I like I don't watch like it, it wasn't even like a great like teams. Usually I watch like Golden State. No, I tuned into like Portland wait, wait, and wait, Brooklyn. Wait, 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 wait. wait, how'd you say that? Golden State. Golden State. Why don't you just say State. Golden State? Why is the you say Fieri. That's because you. That's how you actually say his name. Anyway, I was watching um, Saquon uh, <laughs> Golden State, and Guy Fieri came in. No, but the, like, so it, the whole point was I watched NBA last night like I normally don't, and the night I tuned in, what's his name? Broke his leg in half. Oh, Nurkic, the guy in... Uh, Welcome into the show, guys. <laughs> yeah. Didn't think you'd have a Nurkic thing in the open, did Sorry. you? Sorry. Uh, we have a lot to get to today. As I talked about uh, the other day, we have our interview with Candler Cook. He has a book out. The former Georgia walk-on, his book, From Underdog to Bulldog, is really, really good. We had a great conversation with him about a week and a half ago uh, that we're going to get to later. You're definitely going to want to stick around for that. Um, we have a little bit of spring football that we want to get to. Some interesting yeah. comments from, from Gus Malzahn, as always. We are going to rank the SEC basketball coaching vacancies as of right now. There are three, maybe going to be four in a little bit. Don't say that. I'm just saying, just saying. Um, and then we also have some prop bet stuff for the NCAA tournament. A little, just some betting guides. And I, also, betting. I'm going to do a top five power rankings of the worst broken legs in NBA history. So that's what you have in store for this episode, no, not really. Oh, and we have SEC Public Enemy Number One, a new Public Enemy Number yes. One for the SEC. I think everybody will find that very interesting. But before we do all of that, as you know, our good friends over at Ticket City are going to hook you up for the NCAA tournament. If you are one of four SEC fan bases, or you're just a human being who likes some good old-fashioned entertainment, and you're like, I need to get to an NCAA tournament game. I need to see the Sweet 16. You need to be doing so on Ticket City. TicketCity.com is the place to go for all of your tickets this March. LSU, Michigan State, Auburn, North Carolina, Kentucky, Houston, Tennessee, Purdue. Those are all really, in my opinion, those are all going to be really, really good games. Everybody's talking about how oh, the tournament's not that good because it's all chalky and it's a little bit too much. There's not enough upsets. You know what? No. I want to see really good teams play. Yeah, I love I, chalk. I have no problem with that. I have no problem with a little bit of chalk. We could all use a little bit of chalk sometimes. That's what I always is that say. A smash I don't know mouth what lyric? What is, yeah, all right. Okay. Is that a smash mouth lyric? That sounds like, be. I don't know. Guy Fietti and uh, the guy from Smash Mouth. Focus. Same breed of human. Focus. Same breed of human. Just want to throw that out. Yeah, there's the same person. Yeah. Have the, has anybody ever seen him in the same room? I don't no, think so. I hope not, because you'd be in the same room with both of them. It'd be awful. Yeah, that'd be creepy. But yeah, that's a nice way of saying get to TicketCity.com right now. All right. College football. Sam Ellinger. Just, just stir in the pot. Stir in the pot. Texas quarterback. By now, you probably know who he is. I was amazed to look up the fact that he's only a sophomore. I thought that guy had been what? there for at least three, four years. Yeah. So this leads into what um, I, this, this theory that I've developed about him after seeing the way that he decided to 
uh, go after Texas A&M um, on social media by saying that he was at the airport and he took a bunch of pictures at the at the airport. I think was it the airport in Austin? Yeah, it's at the Austin or airport. Dallas. No, oh, Austin airport. Yeah. Okay. So at the Austin airport, Texas A&M had a bunch of uh, a bunch of ads up, and he said, you know, such a little brother thing to do. Um, you know, Texas A&M is a little brother in the state of Texas. Now, Sam Ellinger is not new to trolling the SEC or right. SEC teams. If you recall, last year against Georgia, he had the de- declaration after the Sugar Bowl win of "We're back." And then he had the you know the armband that had the you know, little bit of an offensive message on it. But what what are you, what are you going to do? Um, he also, if you recall, trolled Drew Locke and his backpack touchdown dance. Remember, he oh, was remember. there with Tom Herman. Tom Herman got all the flack for that. But don't don't forget that Sam Ellinger was right there, right there with him. And I, I don't want to accuse anybody of doing any, any anything before it happens. But if he doesn't have some sort of troll of LSU. Um, before that game to in the 2019 season, I'll be stunned. So new public enemy number one in the SEC, Sam Ellinger. Can I go off on this? Because I'm going to. I think you're, you're already off on this. I, I mean, I'm not. I was not happy about this, and here's why. So I hate the fact, first and foremost, to be fair, that he has beaten an SEC team in a bowl game each of the past two seasons, or Texas has with tech, uh, with Georgia and Mizzou. However, so, like, this is what the tweet said. It said, The amount of Texas A&M advertising efforts around the airport proves their large insecurity about being the little brother in the state of Texas. I don't like the way that sentence was phrased or worded at all. That's just a, just a me thing. Um, insecurity? It's, it was banners. It was banners in the airport. He's in an airport named after a Texas A&M grad, first off. The insecurity part, like... There may be, besides UCF, I don't think there's a bigger fan base in the country that's more insecure than Texas. How many years in a row have they said they were back? Well, they were back, and then they went So they came back, and then they were back again after beating Georgia. So as far as we know, they are currently back, and you okay. have said the words, well, Texas is back many times. So I'm just I have not said that. that. I said they were going to beat Maryland and get to whatever. Either way. Regardless, I'm going back on what I said. All right, I'm going back on the back thing. Okay. And, yeah, you know what else is currently happening? They have had a worse record than A&M in seven of the last nine years. Seven of the last nine years. Like, I, it was it was literally banners in an airport. You guys have an entire network of only Texas sports that nobody watches besides Matthew McConaughey and Vince Young because of his old highlights. That's it. Like, there's no programming that's good. It's a 2006 Rose Bowl. That's it. And A&M has never lost to Maryland. There you go. Have they, have they really never lost Yeah, they're 2-0. That's pretty impressive. Sam Ellinger. 19, 1951, but... Sam Ellinger could learn a few things about beating Maryland. Yeah, just saying. They, they don't have to play Maryland next year, though, so maybe Texas will be back. Who knows? Um, it's it's very strange, though, to see. I was trying to think about this. Somebody who has consistently like called out different SEC teams, not just the one, the one thing, or like done different things to make SEC fans, for lack of a better phrase, pissed off. And yeah. I think that the SEC kind of needs a, needs an enemy. And I keep thinking to myself. By the time that he comes to Baton Rouge in 2020, how hated is he going to be? See, I mean, like, it, part of that gamesmanship is it's fun and it's good for, like, sports in general. Like, I enjoy it. But this one just seems like it's like he does go out of his way to, like, call out the SEC. Because it started with Tim Brewster, like, the back and forth they had. Oh, like, I don't he was remember this. Yeah, so he I, I usually, I'm about, usually about, on like, top of the, I'm usually on top of all things Tim Brewster, but I don't know how this slipped past yeah. me. So Brewster tweeted something back at him, um, like the start of last year, and it was like, every everyone knows there's better players, and if you want like to like to play with the best players, like you come to right. the SEC or something like that. 
And um, he's like, everybody in the Big 12 knows that. And Ellinger clapped back at him and tagged Tua in it. And he was like, y'all need to stop riding Tua, man. Ooh. And it's like, dude, I would, I get it. If you're like, if, like Manziel, when he was on Twitter, like, if you're this like kind of brash, overconfident, or Baker Mayfield type guy, I get it if you're doing, like, if you're winning a lot of games and doing things that are like, if you're one of the best players in the country, just bottom line. This guy's like a poor man's Tebow. And I really hate the fact that Georgia lost to him. I think that the success that he had last year, not I mean, he's nowhere near a Tebow, a Manziel, or you know, a Tua man. But he is trying to get to that point where he is doing the Baker Mayfield thing, where yeah. that that's that's what kind of gets him going. And you know, I mean, just as we saw on his on his play sheet, you, you do what you got to do to kind of motivate yourself in those right. moments. And some people do that by being the strong silent type, like. Jake Fromm will never say anything that, that rivals Baker Mayfield <laughs> or Sam Ellinger. It's just not going to happen. But it's interesting to see that he is kind of taking this upon himself to be this yeah. guy. Because if you're putting that out there on social media, you want people to respond to you. You want people to say, hey, why would you ever say that? You want people to talk trash back to you. Right. And so I think it's it's funny from, from an outsider's standpoint of realizing that there is somebody who wants to be the villain. Nobody ever wants to be the villain. That's true. This, this kid does. No, I agree with that. Well, so, and I don't think it's just him. And like, and I'm not really more than anything. Like, I just like A and M's a better program than Texas right now, just flat out. And they have been for the last decade. And you think about all the shortcomings they've had over the last decade, they've still been a better program than Texas. Texas has been very average over the past decade. Um, I don't think this is all Ellinger. And again, I think it is probably good for the sport to get people riled up and all that kind of stuff. But and it's and you're at like a national brand like Texas, which is seemingly been knocking on the door but this is tom herman and and sam ellinger it's not it's not that's just true. sam ellinger that's true. it is that's a definitely really tom, like that play sheet guaranteed that was put on there by by tom herman tom herman is i don't think he's a a villain necessarily because he seems like a pretty cool guy um but he also seems like kind of a dick yeah yeah i mean i think that's kind of that's kind of fair to say at this point uh, okay cool hook him is probably the coolest <laughs> response it's the coolest really response was. to a text i've ever seen I'll, yeah. I'll be honest i don't like tom herman just in terms of the way that he goes about his business and the way that he kind of treats the media and yeah. thinks that everybody is out to get him and to me that's you know a guy like that that high profile of a job needs to have some better awareness but i like the idea of there being an enemy for the sec because i was trying to think about it like the most recent enemies outside of the sec and urban meyer is the one that comes to mind immediately jim harbaugh as well but jim harbaugh didn't have the success against the sec but i would say harbaugh is the one that's kind of like the more like he was antagonizing but he 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 got away from that and urban you know not necessarily in an antagonizing way more so like his success and the way that you know, he left Florida, was just always right. going to rub people the wrong way, and, you know, beating Bama the way that he did, I had to bring that up. You know I had to bring it's that just, up. It's just, yeah, that's fine. It's just, it's weird with the Ellinger thing, because, like, I get that these two have a very short tradition. And if, if, to be fair, Texas owns, like, a 76-37 and 37 record against A&M all time. So they have owned A&M, like, historically. But they haven't played each other in over a decade. Gosh, can, can we just get him to, get him on the field again, please? But, I mean, like, it, but you guys haven't played each other in a decade you're in separate conferences. It's not that much of a like. I, I'm gonna get killed for this, but it's like not that huge of a rivalry right now. And the whole just, I think what bothered me most was the insecurity things. It was like you guys literally have a rule in the Big Twelve that you're not allowed to do the horns down thing. It is. Think about sensitive. that. And you and you throw out the word insecurity. Like get out of here. Yeah. Let's watch Tom Herman go complain about Will Greer celebrating a touchdown again. Right. Yeah. Let's uh, let's 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 see more things like that. Texas is quickly becoming 
I, I don't want to say the most hated program in America because no. you have to have more success for that to be the case. But Ooh. they're they're. I'm just saying. I mean, as as we talked about. I, th- I think they're trying to work their way into that conversation. I think yeah. with Tom Herman, with Sam Ellinger at the forefront of that program, they will have no problems getting there, especially if they can win some some big-time games. So um, different t- on a much different note in terms of quarterback news and, and, and spring and developments and all that, we've talked about this a lot and this dynamic of Gus Malzahn and the way that he's going to handle this four-quarterback battle that he's got unfolding in spring camp. And I thought that this was an interesting comment that we heard Gus Malzahn say via The Athletic. So he said, in relation to Joey Gatewood, who is uh, the redshirt freshman this year, came in very highly touted last year, of course, the Cam Newton comparisons, all that. And this quote from Malzahn said, uh, you can tell that uh, Gatewood is not a freshman anymore. He's competing hard for the starting job. His approach has been completely different than last year, which is to be expected. And this comes after last year, everybody, all the media reports were propping up Joey Gatewood and saying he is really making big time strides. He is looking so good. And the last that we have really seen of Joey Gatewood was in the spring game where he was not good. He was terrible in my opinion. We had the Cam Newton comparisons too. Yeah, I mean the Cam Newton comparisons, like as soon as he threw the ball, you're like, okay, no, we we got a little bit ahead of ourselves with that one. But I think that to hear Malzahn say this is just another reminder that he is going to be playing some big-time angles. And he, as he evaluates this quarterback situation, wants to keep all four of these guys on campus. We were talking about this off-air. If he says... You don't even want to know what we said. If he says that Bo Nix is starting and Joey Gatewood isn't, Joey Gatewood is on the next bus out of town. Yeah, Jeremy Johnson's coming back. I mean, everyone's leaving. Don't even joke about that. Come on, way too soon. I mean, yeah, like if he's he's an early enrollee, true freshman, and Bo Nix, that is, yeah, and like in this day and age, like not this day and age, it's really the past two to three years you've seen not just like a lot of success, but like the highest level of success, often by a freshman. Jake Fromm gets the national championship as a freshman. Tua wins it as a freshman. Um, I'm, oh, I'm drawing a blank here. What happened last year? Uh, Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence, yeah. <laughs> Try to bury that down, my subconscious, but. Um, yeah, I mean, so like it could easily happen. I think Bo Nix, from everything we've seen, is probably the best. He is the highest ceiling out of any of the quarterbacks. But yeah. Gatewood wasn't wasn't ranked much lower than him coming out of high school. Well, I mean, it was it was interesting reading some of the stuff about Gatewood as a recruit. The 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 people there were people who compared him to Cam Newton, and then there were right. people who said this guy's not a quarterback. Like he, he can't right. throw. And you know, there's a belief that in that system. Okay, you have wiggle room if he's not the most accurate. That's probably what you want. Again, Nick Marshall. Right, exactly. <clears throat> and and, and a, you know, they're built differently and they have different different strengths just in terms of, you know, their their makeup and all that. But I I think that Malzahn is going to do this a lot. I think yeah. this is going to be such a constant thing where whenever he has a chance to individually praise a quarterback, I think he's going to do that because he wants as many options as possible until he ultimately makes his decision in the fall. Right. Now, he said that he's not going to have look for any sort of separation until after this scrimmage that they're going to have. I believe that's this Saturday. That's going to be their first scr- scrimmage in the spring. But Malzahn is like, this decision is so massive for his future. It, it really yeah. is. Like We're going to talk about this a lot, and I'm sorry if people are going to get sick of, of hearing about this, but... As somebody who prides himself on, on running this offense, 
the direction and the variety of directions that he can go in with this move that he makes is going to be so highly scrutinized. Yep. And it's going to be it's going to follow him the entire season no matter what he chooses. And I think this Gatewood thing is 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 you know, it it can go both ways. Maybe he's blowing up Gatewood to make him look like, you know, he's been better than he is. Or maybe this is actually just real and Gatewood has a legitimate chance to win this job. Yeah. And then, you know, that's the direction he's going to go. But I, I, I mean, really have no idea Everyone in the world is talking about Bo Nix. Everyone in the world is talking about Bo Nix. And that's and part of it, yeah. It's probably, it's probably not a bad idea to throw some uh, or instill some confidence in Gatewood in general because those two are going to, I guess, they're going to be running like the, the ones on Saturday at the first scrimmage, right? So... We don't know that necessarily, do no, we? It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's already been reported. Like, oh, I thought they were running. The, I thought they were running the equal. They were running equal reps with the ones, and he said that's been the tough part with spring camp so far. Is like, right. you've got four guys trying to get reps with the ones. It doesn't really. You can't really establish any continuity with that. So, I mean, regardless, like coming out of there, like again, if he goes into the season, I think you you can't go into this season, especially for him, having like a two quarterback system or no, we're no, undecided. No. We're going to work it out because you open up with Oregon. Like this, the schedule is the schedule was tough last year. The schedule is almost as or equally as tough this year. So yeah, it's man, this is going to be really interesting and kind of uncomfortable to watch for most of the year because like every single move, like you said, will be scrutinized, and every single move is like pretty crucial to his his career. Yeah, before oh, he ends yeah. up working at the SEC Network as an analyst. <laughs> Hey, we love Gene Chizik. We love Gene. Chizik. That's true. He's very good. Uh, but yeah, that's going to be one of the one of the things that you're going to watch is is everything that he says about this quarterback situation publicly. It matters, and it could yeah. make or break. You know, if a guy decides, you know what, I want to leave, I want out, uh, and you know, he's he's going to have to try try and push the right buttons to be able to get this thing to work the well, best way possible. And I think like one last thing on it, it's either either quarterback you go with is going to be in a better situation. This sounds weird than they were last year with Jared Stidham. Agreed. Because Agreed. you're supposed to return all five stars in the offensive line. You, the receiver depth isn't as great, but I think all the, the returning running backs that had carries last year were either freshmen or redshirt freshmen. So they're really young there, and they're, they're somewhat experienced still. But having all five offensive linemen back, you saw how bad it was last year. Oh, it was awful. So they, they rushed for 2,100 yards for the whole year, which is by far the lowest amount they've ever ever had in a season under Malzahn. And I think they usually average around 3,300 in like the seven years he's been there. So 21 total 100 yards, like th- that is what the the focus of the offense is going to be. All just don't make mistakes. Just don't turn the ball over. You yeah, saw to, Nick Marshall. To me, the most interesting to look at with with this spring with spring football in general in the SEC last year, the Tua Jalen Hurts conversation it, it dominated everything. To me, this is the most interesting storyline that we've got moving yeah. forward because it could determine Gus Malzahn's future. Okay, so we, a little peel behind the onion here, we originally recorded uh, a segment earlier before the news of that Mike Anderson was out at Arkansas. So we are re-recording this segment, ranking the SEC basketball coaching vacancies to include Arkansas because we didn't want to sound really, really dated. So you are welcome, everyone. Yeah, and we're even angrier now. I'm eager to get into this because I know we're going to disagree on this. I, I ranked... Auburn at number four, or not Auburn. I ranked Vandy at number four. I had Arkansas at number three. Hold on. I ranked Texas A&M at number two and Bama at number one. Now, I want to kind of go through and break down our disagreements here because I know that there's there, there are some questions about this. You don't believe, you're, I know you're being the, the anti-homer, but you don't believe that Bama should be number one. Most of what you've said for why they should be number one, I, I disagree with. Because 
and and I'll let you start, but it's mainly because like I've watched them for most of my life, and they don't have a lot of talent in that state. They haven't been able to bring in a lot of talent like since Godfrey left. So I don't I get like the whole point of like you know we'll end up getting into it, but um, the commitment to the program and the, you know the renovations for Coleman. I just don't like. I don't know if Bama can win there in the future. Okay, so I I ranked Bama at number one because one of the reasons being that Greg Byrne is going to be judged on this hire. He's not going to be judged by Nick Saban's success because he didn't hire Nick Saban. And that's the way that it works with ads. And this big hundred fifteen million dollar renovation project for Coleman, huge huge deal. I think the commitment that he showed by firing Avery Johnson and saying, you know what, we're going to eat $6 million of this buyout because we want to be serious about basketball. It's not acceptable to miss out on the NCAA tournament. To me, that says a good thing for a new head coach. And the roster that he's going to inherit, he or she, we never know. You never know. Okay. Um, I'd like to talk about that. Um, you never like okay, so the roster that they're going to inherit it, it is not bad. Now we, we find out about Kyra Lewis and going into the transfer portal. We find about about that earlier. Um, and so that's it remains to be seen what's gonna happen there. But you know, I, I just think that Bama compared to a lot of these other places, when you talk about the commitment to the facilities, the commitment to what their athletic director is going to do to make a new coach have everything around him in in his or her favor. Again, could be a her, you never know. Um, I, I just think that Greg Byrne is going to be setting up a coach to do that. And I understand that it's going to play second fiddle to Alabama football. It always is. Right. But the standard that he is trying to set there, that is a very favorable situation if I am a coach <clears throat> looking for a job. So, agreed. What I would say is, what I don't understand from your argument is, why do you not think that's going to happen in a place like Texas A&M? I think it could happen in a place like Texas A&M. My question, though, is more about, okay, so... A&M makes, Scott Woodward makes this big splashy hire, Jimbo mm-hmm. Fisher. That is his, what's going to define his tenure there. Scott Woodward, the AD at Texas A&M, is going to be judged off that hire and mostly that hire. I mean, let's let's be 100% honest because that's when you write a 70, $75 right. million dollar check, that's just the way this thing works. There are no plans to update the facilities. Well, to it's have, a pretty recent facility though. It's the most recent out of all of them. It's. I, I understand that. I'm saying it's. You know, th- there are no plans in the five, ten year plan to update the facility. It's. It's not a bad facility, but it's not necessarily a cathedral of college basketball. One right. of those things. So I think from that standpoint, A&M has a lot of things working in its favor. Yeah, the state of Texas good for recruiting. Alabama also has access to Atlanta. I mean, it's not like this is. You but know, they've just, never they've never capitalized on that. Jamario Davidson and and Colin Sexton's the only two. Right. Exactly. So I. I still am under the impression, though, that Alabama has good access to... It still has good access to recruits. We were talking about it with Tom Hart. When Tom Hart was like, when was the last time Alabama brought in a Colin Sexton? You know, and they were able to do that. And I understand part of that is Avery Johnson. Right. We're going to see how his successor is able to do that. But to me, that just kind of shows the commitment that Alabama has to basketball. And the fan base wants it, despite the fact that they had low... Ex- or they, they didn't meet expectations this year. The, the the home attendance is still increasing. And in a place like that... It was not. So it, so it, you're saying Tom Hart was wrong? Yeah, I am. So it, it was it was like four years ago in 2015. It was the second highest it was in the country. Um, it was the second highest increase in the country. So if you look at the attendance and like the attendance numbers from these four schools, if you're going to factor that in there, did you watch Alabama basketball games? Because those kid, those students were not packing out the house at all. I understand the NIT game is is an anomaly because no one's going to go to the NIT game. There were games outside of Kentucky, um, 
Auburn, Florida. Like it's a first off, it's a very massive, massive like uh, mm-hmm. arena. It's like twenty thousand seats, and like it's almost like Michigan's the way it's built. It just keeps going further and further away from the court as you go up. Um, they 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 have not packed out the house for that that team at all. Um, that team has been the same. No matter who's the coach, no matter what players are coming in, you talk about Colin Sexton coming in. They had a lottery pick and a five-star point guard. He's like the number three overall player of the country. They still had to beat A and M in the SEC tournament to even get into the uh, the NCAA tournament. They they've been to two NCAA tournaments the past twelve years. Which yes, I I mean I I understand that as well. I understand that. So if you're having recruits come in from that state, there's only been eleven four and five star players in that state, and I get the, the access to Georgia. They have never capitalized that on that though. When you have a place like A and M, and yeah, by the way, like like spoiler, A and M was my number one spot. Um, they already committed that money to Jimbo Fisher. I don't think that money would be any kind of issue with like with their alumni groups and all the fundraisers like fundraisers they've been able to. They just renovated the the basketball practice facilities like I think three or four years ago um so they already have really good facilities and better and advanced more advanced than any of these schools they also have the state of Texas access to the state of Texas just 54 five stars or four stars in like in the since 2016 to 2021 Right, big state, a lot of competition. I think at A and M, I don't know how you keep brushing it off like that. Like, oh yeah, I mean, yeah, they got fifty four, which is five times the amount that Alabama has. No, and, and I admit that there's there's talent in the state of Texas. I'm not I'm not denying that, but I'm saying you in the state of Alabama, it's 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 Alabama has to. And I understand that you've said that the best recruits in the state of Alabama are getting out of the state, and that's part of it. But in the state of Texas, you still have Texas Tech, which is still in the NCAA tournament right now. Houston, which is still in the NCAA tournament right now. Texas, which is still Texas. Right. Still have TCU, which just missed out on the NCAA tournament. You still have all these other schools that are trying to, that are factoring into that, and I think that that makes it that makes it difficult as well. So I we can agree to disagree on this, and that's I mean I, and I understand totally where you're coming from, and I'm not saying definitively well, we, that I'm right. Well, so if we're bringing up like the fact that like well, there's this like recurring or these returning starters and like the, the people have in place. So you you held that and like that held more weight into your rankings than mine because I I don't really think any of them are gonna be judged on their first year. Yeah, that's true. But if you if you're looking for an operation that's relatively turnkey, if you're if you're a coach that has your pick of the litter, would you rather go into a complete gut job like Vanderbilt, which is gonna have its roster totally demolished or because or, or Arkansas is going to be facing some big time issues as well with Gafford off to the NBA. You you would really want to go into a situation where you at least have some chance to be decent in those in that first year, those right. first two years, where you're not necessarily going to be able to bring in that five star kid immediately and just flip a switch and you're good from there. So I think I think there's a case to be made for both. I understand your case for for A and M. I give Bama the slight edge. This isn't like yeah. night and day, like way overwhelming. I want to get into I want to get into Arkansas because I think we're gonna have more disagreement on this. And there have been a lot of opinions out there, and I understand people. And, and I, actually, as we're recording this, I was getting multiple text messages from people saying, "How in the world do you have Arkansas at number three for coaching vacancies in the SEC?" How did you respond? Did you have to respond in the same way you did to me? No, I'm not texting while I'm doing a podcast, man. No, I'm, I'm just saying, we're like you scoffing at them saying it. Um, yeah, I'm going to. I'm going to say to them, anybody who tells me that Arkansas is the top available job in the SEC, they're going to cite 40 minutes of hell. They're going to cite that in the first sentence that they're going to talk about. They're going to talk about a national championship that was 25 years ago when recruits weren't even alive for that. Recruits, None of these other about recruits. have been contention for a national championship. No, I'm just saying for the last two decades, since current recruits have been alive, Arkansas has not been a factor. You're looking at a program that in the last 20 years has zero zero Sweet 16 appearances, 
three NCAA tournament wins in the 21st century, zero regular season conference titles in, a, in the last 20 years, three NCAA tournament appearances in the last 10 years. So I get that people, people are very Bama. caught up in this. What's that? More than Bama. No, I, I understand. I understand that as well. I'm just saying why, why I have this further down the list. And then there are other factors that go into this, like, you know, there's no guarantee that that Hunter Yurchak is going to open up the checkbook and sign sign a, a big time flashy hire. I mean, this is Mike Anderson ranked number 39th in the country in coaching salaries last year, so right. it wasn't like you and know, he's only uh, like I think ninth in the conference for uh, for salaries. Arkansas has I don't think it has ever, if if I'm not mistaken, at least in the last 40 years, hired a coach from another Power Five school. If you're a great job, they have, they you should it? you should be able to hire Mike a coach Anderson from, another, from Mizzou. Mike Anderson wasn't a, wasn't from straight from Mizzou. He what? Mike Anderson wasn't straight from Mizzou when he came yes, to Arkansas. Now we gotta look this up. I, I already did. This is one of the things I was trying to bring up to you is Mike Anderson left Missouri two years after they were in the Elite Eight, and then also a, the year immediately after they went to the second round of the NCAA tournament. Missouri is a basketball school. Besides, oh, I think you're right. You're totally oh, right. What? I thought he was at UAB. Crazy. I thought he was at Crazy. UAB before. You're right. Okay, you're right. I get that. I get. I totally get that. that and I standpoint. wonder why Eddie Sutton would have gone there. I wonder why Nolan Richardson would have gone there. I wonder why they had all this tradition in little old Arkansas. I understand that. But in terms of thinking about a recruit and trying to be able to get get players to go to your school, people give right. Michigan a lot of crap because they say, Michigan, you haven't done anything since basically World War II, all that. Michigan's at least had like 10 win seasons and been like, you know, got to like a New Year's Six game and done stuff like that. Whereas, and I know this is apples to oranges because we're talking right. football and basketball here, but I think there's a lot to be said about not being a nationally relevant program for the last 20 years. I don't and know yes, if that's true. But you've got, okay, so you've got a couple guys around in the NBA. You could point to Patrick Beverly, Joe Johnson, yeah, guys like I would, that. I mean, and those, but, those guys are kind of aging out. But when, when you talk about if, if, if that is the point, like I, I as a, from a recruiting standpoint, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to Arkansas. Like I'm, that is third on my list or probably fourth on my list out of these four. Um, from a recruiting standpoint, I totally get it. And, and they currently only have one recruit, like even, even committed or signed, I think, for this year's class. So that's not great. However... When you bring up Bama having four straight, or was it uh, the 18 wins for the last four years? Right. Is that what it was? These records for Arkansas, like if I agree with you to the point that they have not opened up the checkbook, made a huge flashy hire. Um, they didn't pay Mike Anderson that much, uh, but he was pretty successful. When you talk about him having, these are like during his tenure, 18, 19, 22, 27, 16, 26, 23, 18 wins. Like, I don't think if they didn't have something else in place or they had bigger plans for this program, then they wouldn't have let go of somebody that steady and stable. Yeah, so let's let's say that all things are let's say all things are, are neutral. I still would rather want to be in Alabama situation, working with Greg Byrne, knowing that those facility upgrades are coming, and I understand that that's still not going to be for another three years. But you yeah, still have that plan now. in place. And you still have that. You still have that investment, and you still you know that it's going to come down to Greg Byrne making this hire, and there's going to be a lot of pressure on him. He's going to do whatever he can to try and make it work. You're going to have his support. So I think that. Where, so where would you have Arkansas? You, by the way, you totally burned me on the Mizzou thing. I'll I'll totally cop to that. You you definitely got me on that. I think that he was at. I I kept thinking that he was at UAB before that. But anyways, what's that? Where would you Where would you have Arkansas ranked then? Um, I would have Arkansas probably ranked if like for the coaching destinations next. I would have them yeah, so probably. The it's like two A two B with Bama. I mean, 
So basically, tied with Bama and A and M at number one. A and M's at number one. Yeah. My okay. my biggest complaint of of your of your disregard for Arkansas about how like like not a big deal. Who cares? Um, they have had consistently one of the most passionate fan bases up there, and so much support for that program. It's ridiculous. They they've ranked. They've had going through this right right here. This is their attendance record. Or um, got a big in the last several years. Bud yeah. Walton is, is a big place, yeah. It, they've, they've averaged over 15,000 people per year, second in the SEC and 12th in the country. It's impressive. No, I mean, has got a huge, huge coliseum. It's, yeah, I, so no, no I, doubt. I get what you're saying, but my point about the, the um, like, I guess, like, doing, like, the construction of Coleman and making all these renovations, I think that's great, and that is one of the huge, like, big factors, like, of what I think the program itself will do better down the road. But if you're a coach, especially after this season, when, like, we've all been kind of caught off guard with, Hold on, like the, Bryce Drew gets uh, gets fired for three years. Kennedy gets fired after what was it? Like how many years has he been there? Kennedy had been there. What had he been there? Like seven years or something like that. There was a, like the coaches. Like, Grant had been consistently average all five years he was there. I'm not Grant. I'm sorry, Johnson. But when you talk about Anderson and Kennedy, they had some pretty decent success, much more than the like the other two teams over the past three four years. So I would be a little bit concerned if I'm going to go to Arkansas. If I'm going to go to Alabama. Am I even going to be able to have those facilities like in place for me, or am I going to be fired by then? Yeah, it's a fair question. It's 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 definitely a fair question. I think these are. I actually think these are these are really close. I mean, I know we're spending yeah. a lot of time talking about it, trying to differentiate. I don't think that there is a ton of differentiation because if I mean, if if this if there was one that was just a, a blue blood turnkey program, we'd be it'd be the overwhelming choice for number right. one. But we're sitting here having this discussion. I do think that Vanderbilt is sitting there at number four just because. You're looking at a situation that is it's 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 a gut job in a in a variety of ways when it comes to the roster when it comes to right. I understand the recruiting was really really good last year but if you're oh. losing you know you're losing Darius Garland four four star signee uh, Dylan Disu I'm not I'm not uh, yeah well, he, he was a five star both of them were five stars yeah and then the McDonald's All American uh, Simi Shitu again not a pronunciation yeah. he's still deciding on the NBA too so and even if they were coming back. They didn't win a conference game last year. At and you all, have the academic which is crazy. Hurdles. Yeah, you got the academic hurdles there. You're working all with three of those a first guys time are the top three scores on the team. Exactly. Yeah. You're working with a first time athletic director and Malcolm Turner. You don't know how he's going to function, how he's going to operate. Right. I understand that you know he could be really good. Maybe he's not. You just don't know. You don't have that that history there. And you know that, we, we that, talked about this earlier. Vanderbilt only has one NCAA tournament win in the last twelve years. For right. as great and as it, good as solid as they've been, that's that's tough. And they've been to six. They've been to six tournaments in the past twelve years. And yeah, we should have gone back and gone over our, our plan from before and like <laughs> listed everything out instead of just going right into the arguing. Um, yes, yeah, so they've been to six NCAA tournaments over that same exact time span. And four of those six years, they were a five seed or better, and they still have one win. But I'd love to live in Nashville. I'll say that. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, so like I, I've I've gotten flack from people saying that Vanderbilt shouldn't be last on this list. I've gotten people saying that Arkansas shouldn't be third, even though that just I, I just, just posted that like a half hour ago. <laughs> Gosh, I just wish you guys could see behind the scenes of of how smug Connor was about Arkansas. And I mean, the only reason it made me mad is because those fans. You're lucky, man. You're lucky. They got, no, no, no. I'm not denying the fans. The fans are great. That's that's not the problem. I'm right. talking about. But if you're coach, you you know that that's already going to be there. That's yeah. That's part of the right, that's yeah, part of the equation. Yeah. And so you know it, what? I'll be honest. Okay, fine. Arkansas's third. I just didn't like that you disregard them. I would take them over that for the future <laughs> part. But A and M, I still have A and M number one. 
All right, that's fair. And, yeah. and for the record, I know I, I dissed it. I love 40 Minutes of Hell. It's one of my favorite ESPN docs that I've seen. So it's so good. When I, when I just like dismiss anything from the Big Ten, you're like, all right, every Arkansas fan is going to say, Bill Clinton, 40 Minutes of Hell. You don't know that. You might bring up the fact that, I don't know, they went to three NCAA tournaments in eight years. I read some some internet comments, some comments on the good old internet. With uh, that, that was good. Yeah. Um, I think I'm most shocked, by the way, just side note, I'm most shocked out of all the firings. I, I'm i not happy with, I was happy originally for the Avery Johnson firing, but I don't like the Kyra Lewis leaving, Dazan Ingram leaving. But um, Vandy stepping up after three years, especially with that recruiting class. New AD. All the, that's that's what all these have in common. When a new athletic director comes in, they want to bring in their, their own coach. That's just the way that it works in this business. And I understand that not every situation was exactly the same because Scott Woodward waited a little bit to fire Billy Kennedy because yeah. you know the guy had been to two two Sweet Sixteens in the first three years that Scott Woodward was there. Crazy. But it's a different. It's just that's the he even way brought it works. that up. He's <laughs> like like yeah. when he was talking about like possibly looking for another coach. He's like he did so well my first couple of years. Like, Don't say that. Here's, here's an interesting question. Um, we did this when we first recorded this, but we haven't done this now. Uh, where does LSU fit in? If LSU becomes a vacant job, and you know, sorry LSU fans, but I got a feeling Will Wade is coached in his last game at LSU. Just, he just a, my gut feeling. Um, where, where would you put LSU in here if, 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 if there are very minimal sanctions and we find out from the NCAA rulings that it's going to be a very slight reduction in scholarships and they're just going to be a slap on the wrist because they suspended Will Wade immediately. Where, where would you put LSU into all of this? Man, that's tough. Um, Isn't it? I would probably have them... I, yeah, I might have them ahead of... Ugh. Well, if they're going to be... The sanctions that really is such a key part. Like, you can't really exactly. gloss over that because, you know, we talked about this earlier, too. It's, it's totally opposite of college football where, you know, earlier we talked about Missouri. People aren't transferring schools or, like, they're not going to not go to a place just because they're not going to a bowl game. People don't really care about that as much, especially with grad transfers. With basketball, it's kind of different. They don't really care. I mean, like, you know, it's going to be... I'm sorry, they, they do care because the fact is, like, that's the whole end goal, unless you're going to be a one-and-done. Exactly. Like, is the tournament. So that plays such... I mean, like, there's a big difference between, like, the Meineke Car Care Bowl and the actual NCAA tournament. So yeah, just I think that, that will probably be the biggest factor. I've never understood how LSU gets so much talent. It is it is impressive. A guy. Well, I mean, I, you, we can understand a little bit more now if, you know... Yeah, that's right. Smart thing, I mean, like but. Ben Simmons, like like you look at it, like their facilities, like, I've never thought were that great. I've, I've always not been a fan just aesthetically of like the home court. But like you you could argue they have in all of college basketball, maybe the best starting five historically ever. Yeah, which is kind of weird when you think about it. And and that, that obviously plays a part in recruiting. And I think Ben Simmons helps in recruiting right now just yeah, a little bit. He's an Australian and the accent. fact that. Yeah, right. If if you're if you're a new coach, you have the potential. I'm not saying like like I said, these are never given. You it's never given that current players are going to stay with the program. Right. But there is the the possibility of having the likes of Javante Smart, of having guys like Skylar Mays. You get Tremont Waters back. Okay. There's See, I that's possible. That. It's possible. I'm not saying it's going I'm, to happen. I'm but just going to say you've been very logical with most of your responses, but I'm going to call you out for you've you've used that argument separately for the teams that you've ranked higher. No, because with Vandy, it's already out there. It's different it's when LSU. It's only one of them. No, but it's it's already it's already been like there have been stories. On, you think Nas Reed and Tremont Waters are coming back? If they can't go to the the tournament next year. 
after the season. No, if they, oh, if they can't go to the tournament. No, no, no. You're, yeah. you're right. You're right. No, I'm saying if it's a slap on the wrist. Yeah. I'm saying if it's if it's very minimal punishments. I agree. If it's if it's sanctions or something like that, this probably goes to the bottom of the list. It's really really yeah. tough to recruit. You don't want to go in there. If you, we're talking about if you're a head coach, you're, you're right. a head coach, and you're, you're thinking about which job you want to go to. Or a player next. coach. <laughs> They should they should bring those back. They really should. They, honestly, at this point, like I I, I kind of thought that after that technical um, that what's his name got a uh, got called for in the Florida game for LSU, the head coach. Oh, Benford, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they gotta just let like Nas Reed do it. Oh, I'd be. No I'd one's be gonna tell him it. no. Yeah. Oh yeah. Tell, tell Nas Reed no. Come on, forget about it. That was good though. That was really good. I'm glad we got to do this again. Talking <laughs> the about the first Arkansas. one. Just so you guys know, was a lot, a lot more calmer. calm. <laughs> I've heated. Cases barking nonstop. We had to redo this whole thing. Like it was literally as soon as we got done. Like it was like ten minutes after we recorded. Yep. All right. So let us kick it to uh, our interview with former Georgia walk-on. As I said earlier, uh, Candler Cook. If you have not heard about his book, you need to go check it out. It is from underdog to bulldog. Definitely go check it out. We had a fun conversation with Candler. So here is that interview. We're now excited to be joined by a very, very special guest. It is former Georgia walk-on and new author, Candler Cook. I almost feel like I should be calling you Rudy instead of Candler. Um, before we dig into your story, I, I've got to know, how, how, how many times have you been called Rudy in your life? <laughs> well, thanks for having me on, guys. Um, I would say I've been at least compared to that several times. I think there are a lot of similarities between the story of you know, an undersized guy, um, not recruited by anyone, um, and then grew up a huge fan of a major program. So there are definitely a lot of parallels between those two stories. So we're, we're talking to you today because by the time this comes out, your book will be out. It's called From Underdog to Bulldog. See what you did there. Very nice. Um, it, it, it's, it's your incredible story of how you went from being this fourth string, 145-pound high school kid to a 265 265-pound Georgia football player, and I, and I promise I'm, I'm not just saying this to flatter you, but really, I could not put the book down. It was, it was really, really well done. What inspired you to want to tell your story? Well, I would say it really happened a couple of years after I finished college. There was a younger friend of mine named John Huff, whose dad worked for UGA, and um, I got connected with him because he showed up at a faculty appreciation day practice when I was on the team. Well, John was younger than me, so he was in high school at the time. So fast forward a couple years later, he actually had the same dream as myself. He wanted to walk on to Georgia's football team. So he actually reached out to me and started picking my brain about who do I even talk to? How do the tryouts work? Um, what months do I need to be ready for workouts? When do I need to be ready for practice? Um, what months is it just going to be conditioning? And so I helped guide him through that, and he actually ended up walking onto the team as well a few years after I did. So after that experience with serving as a mentor to him, I thought about there have to be more people than just him out there that could really benefit from this story and apply to their own lives, you know, including outside of football. So not to spoil everything that, that's in the book, because you should definitely go <laughs> check it out and, and read it. Definitely go get a copy. Georgia fans are going to love this. Just college football fans in general, I think, would, would love this and the story that you have to tell. But, you know, you grow up a diehard UGA fan. Your dream is to play for the dogs. And then, you know, you get to college and you deal with this repeated rejection, which in the book, you, you know, it kind of sounds like you expected and you understood just because you were smaller, you weren't as fast, you weren't as strong, like all those things. 
You know, was there ever a point though in, in, in your career where you're just like, you know what, maybe, maybe this isn't worth it. Maybe, maybe what I'm going through and what I'm putting myself through, maybe for this one game, it's just all of this is not going to be worth it for me in the end. And you really had, had some thoughts about, about quitting this pursuit that you were on. Well, I'd say there were definitely a lot of moments of doubt. Um, I would say a lot of those came um, really a year or two after I had started, um, you know, making all this progress and then to still get cut from the team a second time. I would say that was really tough because, you know, it, it, it was undeniable that I'd made a lot of progress, but at the same time it was undeniable that there was a, a big gap between where I was and where I needed to be. Um, and so, you know, it, it was definitely natural to let some doubt creep into my mind. I still had the same goal in front of me and did not want to give up. Um, but there were moments where it seemed like it was impossible. Like I was just doing everything that I could, but I was just up against a wall. And really the way that I overcame that was kind of by taking a step back and opening my mind and being willing to try out defensive end, even though I had no idea how to play it. I did notice that every year there were much fewer guys trying out for the team at, at the offensive and defensive lines than there were at like skill and big skill positions so I figured at the very least it could help me you know mask how slow I was and then also have less competition to go against during tryouts I think my favorite part of the book was the the story that you tell about I think it was the second time that you got cut and the note that you got from one of those assistants afterwards can you just share the story in the background of, of what happened with that Sure. So it was it was a really tough day. I would say it was probably the darkest day during this journey because, you know, I show up to um, to a meeting with my position coach, um, Coach Jancic at the time was the linebacker coach at Georgia. And um, and he mentioned that, you know, they had gone through the roster, seen who they had room for and they did not have room for me. Um, and he even discussed if I'd want to transfer and play at a smaller school because, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's well connected. Um, among the coaching ranks and I told him no and that I wanted to play for Georgia and so then I get back to my locker and I have to clear everything out you know take out um, my shirts shorts cleats everything so that somebody who did make the team could take over my locker so it was just a really empty feeling and then I saw that review sheet there and um, and it really outlined just pretty harshly that I was you know too small too slow average strength um, and said that I was a division three football player at best and that I should give it up. So, I mean, it was, it was really, I'd say it was tough reading that, but at the same time that, that really kind of pushed me harder because it made me want to continue to improve myself to the point where they could not say no the next year. Taylor, just to throw this out there. My, my favorite part is when you actually get to play in the game, not when you got cut the second time. I just, I want to say that. (laughs) Uh, so the part, uh, you know, and, and then at the end of that, like, you know, you come back to your, your dorm room and, you know, you're, you know, you share this stuff. I, I think you should, yeah, you shared it with your roommate and then he's like, you know, are you, are you going to shred that thing? And you're like, no, I'm making copies of that. That was like the most, the most like perfect line. And that kind of set the tone though, for the rest of your career and this, this pursuit that you were on. One of the things that, you know, you had to overcome and it was sort of a, a weeding out process. It sounded like was doing these mat drills that you had to do basically to, to, to make the team and show that you're physically able to do that. For those of us who don't understand what it's like to do these mat drills at a big time program, can you explain just kind of what that was like physically and, and just what the, the hurdles that you had to overcome just to be able to complete those? Sure. Uh, that was definitely 
the biggest challenge in the tryout process because it required such a level of conditioning and mental toughness that um, you really had to focus on just that for a month. So, you know, it was such a surprise going into it the first year because I had no clue. I just knew that everybody was scared of them and that they took place at 430 in the morning. So your body's not even really fully awake go yet um but it involved a lot of like quickness there's a lot of shuffling back and forth between cones um doing things like that underneath a shoot so your legs are staying bent in a football stance so your legs are on fire for such a long time and if you start to bend at the waist they'll give you a thumbs down to send you back to the start and um a lot of times you'll even do things well and maybe just to test you they'll give you a thumbs down and you have to run back to the start and go again so it's a really tough test. Um, I started preparing for them better the next couple of years because I specifically knew what was coming. So I would actually work on my speed the last couple of weeks before mat drills and try to drop 10 pounds or so just to get a little faster. And then later when we're getting ready to start spring practice, put that weight back on again. But it's something that really pushes you to the brink where you have to get to a place mentally where you're just not going to give up. And really, at the first few days of mat drills, a good amount of the team does not even finish. They either get pulled out or they get sick. Um, there was one walk-on who was actually a former Marine who could not make it through mat drills the first few days. It took him a couple of days to kind of get used to it. So if that gives you any idea, I mean, it really pushes you to the brink to where, especially if you're just trying out and you know that if you ever stop, you're going to get cut. It really makes you ask yourself, you know, how badly do I want to play for this football team? Side note, was that Marine's name Robbie Bost? No, it was not. I do know him, and uh, he actually did really well in that drills. Okay. Yeah, it's a buddy of mine from college, so. Oh, no way. Yeah, he, he was one of the few guys that he's really fast, but then also he was in good shape. Some guys, you don't get both of those. Like, they may do the first couple reps fast and then tire quickly, but he had both of those down. So he normally was one of the guys who got higher grades on mat drills. Yeah, I made. I went to a beach trip with him, and I did not enjoy that part of it. Um, and the reason, so the reason I ask, the reason I ask is, uh, we joke around a lot. So like, I, I played baseball. I remember my least favorite off-season workout drill was we had to run the two mile for time. And the reason it was my least favorite is because I was good at it, but I found out all of my teammates were just faking their times and emailing them into our coach. What was your oh, least no. favorite out of all the drills? What was your least favorite workout or drill for the off-season or even in-season? I would have to say the forty-yard dash. Um, just because especially when you're playing defensive end if you're running 40 yards you know something went horribly wrong on the play Um, and it's it's like the perfect distance to showcase just how slow I am because if you're doing a normal 10 or 20 yard sprint well you know even if someone's faster than me it's hard for them to beat me by that much but then if you do a longer sprint like a 110 or 220 it's it's a little bit more endurance so I was usually fine on those but in the 40 I would just get smoked so that was definitely my least favorite drill one of the one of the amazing things about your story too, and this is probably where it, it in my opinion, it takes a, a different route than Rudy, is that you really had to transform your body. You basically had to build your body from the ground up. I mean, to gain 120 pounds in, in college is is an unbelievable feat that I'm not sure people realize the extremes that you have to put your body through to do that. You got to a point where you're having 10 meals a day. Can you tell us just kind of you know? This, this this whole like physical transformation like what that was like to go to go through when you realize hey I am nowhere near I, where I need to be and finally being able to, to meet some of those goals 
Sure. Um, that was definitely, I would say, the toughest part of the process because it, it was completely on my own. Like, I had great uh, workout partners. I had, you know, other guys trying out to run drills with, but that was really something that I had to develop and, and do completely alone. But it basically started because I did as much research as I could to focus on gaining weight um, when I came into school as a freshman because I'd never really tried to do that before. So I read up on different things to eat, saw that a lot of people ate six meals a day, and that was tough. I mean, I, I pretty much was never hungry for a four-and-a-half-year period of my life. Um, <laughs> and, and so eventually my body stopped gaining weight when I was eating six meals a day. It just would not go any higher. That was probably around 215 or so. Um, and so then I added a seventh and then an eighth meal. And then when I was around two thirty, I stopped gaining weight. And I mean, at this point I'm already, you know, feeling sick. A lot of the time I started drinking a lot of like whole milk and protein shakes. Cause I just, I couldn't Oof. physically eat that much food. So I had to get a lot of liquid calories. And finally, in order to bulk up to two sixty five, I had to get up to 10 meals a day, um, drink two gallons of whole milk a day, three gallons of water, so I was just constantly taking in, you know, as much food as possible and I had to completely organize all my classes around it. And even when I went to the football facility, I would have just eaten. And then after we would lift, I would go grab probably three protein bars and two shakes. And then sometimes if we were <laughs> going to be in a couple of hours of meetings, I would step out and go grab some then too, because if I didn't, I was going to lose, you know, 15 pounds a week or something if I started eating normally. So I had to keep that up no matter what there's there's this part in the book where you know you're, you're like all you pull off this tupperware you're in the middle of an exam and you just start eating a potato like it's an apple or something like that and you realize that the girl next to you was looking at you like you're crazy and you're just like what judge me deal with it um how often would something like that happen to you where you're just in the middle of class and you're like you know what big man's got to eat <laughs> It definitely happened a lot, and I kind of wanted to acknowledge how like funny that was, just because I know it, that's a weird thing to do. But in times where I would have to go to class for more than an hour at a time, I had to bring food with me because you know if I skipped a meal, then I wasn't going to get any better that day. So um, I tried to get something that was just quick, and there, you know, I could just pull it out and eat. And uh, potatoes were such a good food for that that a lot of times I would just take a plain baked potato and just chomp on it in the middle of class and like. People would definitely stare at me weird. Um, I carried around a gallon jug of water that got a few looks. But, you know, if, if you're just trying to be healthy normally, you don't need to be doing that stuff. So I acknowledge that, you know, it, it definitely is a little weird. But it was something that I needed to do to get to my goal. And so I didn't want to let something like that, you know, get in the way of my progress. No, so I, I take back what I said earlier. That's my favorite part because, you know, <laughs> the eating part, if there's anything I've been really good at ever since I got out of college, it's gaining weight. So I, I totally understand this part, Candler. Um, so that being said, Aaron, Aaron Murray is kind of our guy on the podcast. We've had him on a couple times. Um, we need to know this. Give us your best Aaron Murray story. Maybe it's about a time you accidentally like decleated him in practice, or I don't know if he ever went into Rick's office and put his jersey on the table, you know, saying that you he wanted you to start in place of him. What's your best Aaron Murray story? Well, I, you know, I definitely like Aaron a lot. He was a great leader on the Georgia team, um, you know, for years for us, but. Um, no, I definitely did not declete him in practice. I probably would not have gone on to make the team if I had done that. <laughs> they, they, much, they always have non-contact jerseys on. So, I mean, even during the most game-like scrimmage that we have, we're still not touching our own quarterbacks. So, 
Um, I would say my favorite story was I actually made a good play off of him one time. Um, it was my senior year, the week that we were preparing for Georgia Tech, and that game's always during Thanksgiving, the same week as you know the Iron Bowl and some other big rivalries. So because classes weren't going on, we had football literally all day. And the coaches try to do some things to break it up and make it exciting. So this one day they split the team up and let us play games of two-hand touch football. And um, and they split us up by position group. So being part of the defensive line, that's not really a, a skill that translates well to flag football. So we weren't expected to do well. <laughs> but we, we actually um, – beat the O-linemen in the first round of the tournament, and then the next round beat the receivers. So we actually made it to the finals, and we're playing against the quarterbacks. And um, so, you know, imagine you have a bunch of 300-pound guys, some of which think that they're scrambling quarterbacks, and they're definitely not, versus the actual quarterbacks who are calling real Georgia plays to run with each other. So they definitely had a more um, developed playbook well the score was actually 0-0 in the in the two-hand touch game and there were only a couple minutes left and I actually picked Aaron Murray off and took it back to the two-yard line that uh led to the only score of it so that was um you know that that was kind of nice I never actually picked him off during a scrimmage but did that one time during the two-hand touch game so I'd say that's one of my favorite memories involving him and you pulled out a potato to celebrate (laughs) we're definitely gonna have to bring that up and remind him (laughs) <laughs> so so you know we we talked we've talked with players on this podcast before but it, it's different talking with somebody like yourself who who had this different appreciation for like everything that involved the Georgia football experience tell me what it was like for you the thrill of just getting to run out of the tunnel at Sanford Stadium and knowing like this this lifetime goal that I've had has been achieved sure i mean that definitely was such an amazing feeling and something that I had so much appreciation for because I mean first and foremost I was a diehard college football fan you know way before I um, started training for this so it was just it was so just stunning being around some of these guys that you know were were heroes that I really looked up to like I remember um, you know watching Matthew Stafford play in high school and then you know the first time I you know work in with him on a drill and practice you know he might introduce himself and say, Hey, I'm Matt. And I, I look at him like, yeah, I know who you are, but it was, it was kind of unbelievable to be, you know, with some of these guys that, you know, really were, you know, were some of my heroes when I was in high school. And then on top of that, you know, I'd been to countless games with my dad. So I, you know, sat, you know, in the stands before, but the first time I ran through that tunnel, it was just amazing. I mean, it's surrounded by concrete. So you just hear all this noise echoing around. It has no place to go. And then you hear like the same highlight reel that I heard, um, you know, for years. And then you run out there through the banner. It was just such an amazing experience. And actually my senior season, I saw that if you stood in one corner of the locker room, you got to end up being one of the first players to run through the banner. So I started doing that about halfway through the year. So I'd be one of the first guys (laughs) to run through. Um, But it was such a cool experience. I mean, it, it just... It, you have your adrenaline pumping and you hear the band playing and it's, it's a moment that I definitely appreciate forever. And I appreciate, you know, one, because I was such a fan and then two, because of all the hard work that went into it. Yeah. There's nothing like Saturday in Athens, man. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a beautiful setup between the tailgating. I love how you can look off of the bridge onto the field, but you know, there are definitely a lot of, great stadiums in the sec i've actually been to a game at every single one of them now so you oh, know, wow. I, I love wow. 
uh, you know, I like a lot of the other school stadiums as well. There's nothing quite like an SEC Saturday. So going going back to your time there, um, if there was one game, because I know you only got into one game, but if there was one game you could go back in time to be a part of during your time at UGA, out of you know pretty much all the other games that, that you did not get into, what game would that be? Because there were some great games during your time there. There were. Um, you know, early on in, in my career, there were there were a few games in 2007 um, that would be candidates for that. Georgia finished number two in the country that year. Like, um, that year, they beat Tim Tebow in Florida, so that would definitely be a candidate. Oh, yeah. um, or the game where they wore black jerseys against Auburn that year. But I actually think I'm going to go with the SEC championship in 2011. Um, that was the only year when I was in school that we won the East. Um, and... I mean, that game against LSU, was. there was so excitement into it. There was very little outside expectation that Georgia would compete. And, you know, the final score might not show how close that game was. But for us to have, you know, the lead all the way into the third quarter and not even surrender a single yeah. first down midway through the third quarter, our defense at least was playing really well. So I think it could have been cool to be part of that. We knew that we were up against a tough team um, since LSU was number one and undefeated, and we pulled out all the stops, including we tried an onside kick and were successful on it where we had two kickers on the field where one kicker right. like he was kicking the ball and the guy next to him kicked it. So, I mean, we, we threw everything that we could at him, but unfortunately we gave up 21 points off turnovers and then another 14 off punt returns. So it's hard to yeah, win when you do bad, that, man. but still – yeah, he's yeah, he was on fire that year for sure. But I would still say being on the sideline for that was such an amazing experience that if I could have gotten to play in that game just with the significance, that would have been probably my first choice. Your your story though, I mean, it, it really it reminds kind of everybody that we should we should never take this college athletic experience for granted. And the hard work that you put in just to get into one game is kind of what makes this whole thing special. I mean, we we tend to forget that when we're watching, you know, Cupcake Week or we're watching a team, you know, play that's up 50 to 3 in the fourth quarter or something like that. We forget about what what kind of moment that can still yield and you are, you know, you you finally get into that game, you know, your senior year and you're just given all these reminders of, of how special college can really be. You know, how did kind of going through this 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 whole experience really drive that point home for you of, of you know, just appreciating the little things and not really taking this whole thing that we consume on such a regular basis? How, how did that really drive home the point of, like, not taking this all for granted? Sure. Well, I would say it just because those games – you know, means so much to a lot of guys on the team who don't normally get a lot of playing time or even get to dress out. I would say that's a reason to not take them for granted. Um, and, I, and I know I always looked forward to those so-called cupcake games because my first season on the team, I knew that those were the only games I had a chance to even suit up for. And then my senior year, I knew that, the you know, those were the only games that I would have a chance to play in. So I made sure to talk with my coach um you know before then but even though those are games that you know sometimes you might not always have a sellout for those or you know the fans start to leave early they still definitely mean a lot um there are a lot of guys that otherwise may never get to play if it wasn't for those games so you know that i definitely have a special appreciation for those and i i kind of knew at the time that was my one chance so i wanted to take advantage of it so you know i'm, I'm really thankful that the starters 
did build such a huge lead that day because, you know, I put all this work in for years to try to get this one day to happen and pretend if they had just had an off day, that day would have never happened. So it was really kind of outside of my control. We were actually on game day. So um, I was, I was really thankful that, you know, they, they scored those six touchdowns just in the second quarter to really blow that game wide open because otherwise, no matter how hard I worked, I would have never gotten that chance to play. Wow. So we've got one more thing for you that we do this with all of our guests. It's family feud, which is not really family feud. It's more of like a rapid fire type deal where we just, you know, kind of throw a bunch of quick hitting questions at you. So Marler's got 10 questions for you. Are you ready to go? Yes. All right, Candler, put down the potatoes. It's game time. This is going to be all the hard-hitting stuff. Are you ready for this or what? I'm ready. All right, first question. Here we go. Favorite meal in Athens? I would say sauce house barbecue. Oh, yeah. Okay, I like that. Next question. Best bar in Athens? I would say Boar's Head. It's, it's an older bar and a better late oh, yeah. place. So it doesn't get overly crowded. It's underground, too, so if you had too much to drink, you can somehow get lost like I did in 2007 when I was there. Next question, hottest Disney princess? <laughs> Man, I really don't know this one. Um, maybe uh, maybe Elsa from Frozen? That's a good answer. I like good that. Choice. Okay. Good choice. Next question, back to the football stuff. Favorite Larry Munson call ever? I would have to say... The hobnail boot call at Tennessee from 2001. I think that was a really iconic call. That was good. I like that. Uh, number five, best pump-up slash workout song of all time. That's a tough one. You know, I actually um, I actually really like listening to a lot of different soundtracks when I worked out. And uh, I was big into listening to the soundtrack from Gladiator a lot of the time. So I guess several okay. of those songs. I listen to Frozen, that whole soundtrack, when I work out, so it's fine. <laughs> explains a lot. Okay. Um, okay, best SEC stadium not named Sanford? I would say I would say Death Valley. I was just there last year, and, you know, unfortunately that game didn't go as well for Georgia, but it was a beautiful stadium, very loud. Um, I thought it was a cool atmosphere. Okay, best late-night food in Athens? Hmm. I would say... Um, I'd say maybe Zaxby's or Five Guys. Oh, the answer was Gumby's Pokey Sticks, but it's fine. They're not there anymore, so it's fine. Uh, three more <laughs> questions. What's the best UGA player you ever lined up against? I would say AJ Green. Um, it, but then oh, yeah, to line up against individually, I would say probably David Andrews. Okay. Um, here's a question since I'm from Atlanta and I'm 32 years old and still don't know the answer. Who's UGA's actual biggest rival? <laughs> I, I think that has to be Florida. I mean, that game has okay. so much on the line every year. The winner of that is probably going to win the East 80% of the time. And it's such a unique setting, you know, a, a neutral game. And you really don't have a lot of those. So I think it's definitely Florida. Okay. Last but not least, and I'm a Bama fan, so just let me down easy on this one. Cause I know it's coming. How many years till Kirby wins a natty? That's a really good question. Um, I mean, he's been banging on the door every year, and you know, I I think it could very well happen this year. Um, you look at, Ooh. you know, a lot of the time, if you keep putting yourself like in the playoffs or in position to win it, one of these years it's going to break the right way. So you know, if if they keep doing the right thing and getting to the SEC championship, getting to the playoffs, 
it's definitely going to happen. It's just a question of when. Emotionally, I was not ready for you to answer that way. Let me tally these up. Um, oh, the Gumby's one cost you. You got 69 points, so that's a good score. That's a good Very score. Very nice. Very nice. Very nice. Okay. Uh, Kayla, we, we really appreciate you coming on. If you, like I said, the book, it is out. Go get it from underdog to bulldog. Where, where's the best place that people can go and get that? Just order it on Amazon. Um, it's, it's already live for pre-order and on the 26th, um, it'll be live to order. So, um, I would say go there. Amen. Cannot recommend it enough. Georgia fans, SEC fans, just human beings in general who love a good underdog story. They will, they will love this book. Appreciate you coming on. Wish you the best of luck. Hope everything goes well with all this. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate you having me. For sure, man. Have a good of rest course, of your day. Kendler. Thanks, man. Definitely make sure that you go and check out From Underdog to Bulldog. Candler is like the Georgia Rudy. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of what we learned from from talking to him and, and getting to read his book. It was really good stuff. Definitely go check that out. Order it off Amazon. Do that today. We've got some Sweet 16 Uncle Chris gambling advice. Uncle Chris, got, it's been a hot yeah. minute. It's been, I mean, it has not for me. Like, I've, I've been behind the scenes still being Uncle Chris. Just haven't been telling you guys about my gambling ways. Pretty good start to the weekend. Uh, opening weekend of college basketball. So... It was, as you said earlier, like a lot of chalk. Uh, Thirty, I guess the favorites, the point spread favorites, were 37 and 11 straight up wow. in those games. Um, and a large part of that was they went 16-0 and 0 in round two, which is, hasn't happened since 1985. But um, So I thought that was kind of crazy. I, against the spread, they were only 23 and 25. But there's some interesting lines. We talked a little bit about them on Sunday. I've had some more time to invest way too much energy into researching them. So we're going to go over them real quick. First and foremost, I want to get your thoughts on this. Tennessee Purdue. So Tennessee is only a one point favorite, and the over under is one forty six. You know more about the Big Ten than I do. And I know you've already made your prediction. Yeah, so I still think that Tennessee wins, and it's close. But one point five, I would, I would take Tennessee with one point five, just because I think they can win, maybe by. I mean, I know I gave a prediction the other day, but I, I don't think this will be like a, a last-second shot type scenario or something like that. Um, Purdue is is Carson Edwards most yeah. of the time. I mean, like that that's just kind of the way that they go. So the over is – I think that over is going to be tough to hit. I really do. Okay. Because so, I think if both teams are if both teams are on fire, yeah, that's, that's the only way that happens. But I think that just with a week to prepare, it would surprise me if both – defenses were that bad if that makes sense i mean well tennessee their pace of play like they, they average i want to say it was like over around like 83 points a game or 82 points a game like they, they've been very good on offense they've been a top 10 offense officially i guess for mo- like the entire season they've done really well so far in the tournament i they kind of run into like a couple of difficult tests when you talk about iowa and how good they shot the three in like the first two rounds or the first round and then colgate the same way so if this kid from Purdue can get hot, I feel like that's the only way he would like they would lose to Purdue. However, it really concerns me if you're betting on this, strictly from a gambling standpoint, the public money on this, which you always want to stay away from the public if it's an overwhelming amount, is at 79% on Tennessee. It's the highest out of any game in the tournament. Um, the over, I wouldn't steer away from that because the over has hit in, in six, all six of the last uh, Tennessee games. And four of the last six were Purdue. So, I think that's probably your best bet is the the one forty six and a half, because I mean again Tennessee can put up some points. Um, I, I don't just, I just don't think Purdue can stay with them. 
if they play like they did against Nova, they absolutely can stick with them. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. Purdue has, I mean, Purdue's been streaky just because Carson Edwards is, is extremely streaky. And they've been right. able to overcome some bad shooting games from him, like some really, really bad shooting games from him. But, like, he had one game against Indiana. He had, like, 29 shot attempts and nine points. It's, like, the Ooh. least efficient game I've ever seen. It's terrible. It's real bad. It's like J.R. Reed. Yeah, I was thinking, like, Gilbert Arena. J.R. Smith. Game. That's, that's better. That's a better one. Um, J.R. Reed's a safety for Georgia. Good for me, Chris. Uh no, I mean, like, Purdue, they've lost four games since January 1st. But what concerns me about them, again, I'm going to overthink this because of the fact that all the public money's on Tennessee. And it hasn't moved, which is really bizarre if you have that much money put on one team and it hasn't gone up. Um, regardless, Purdue's lost, they lost four games since January 1st. But when you look at, like, before that, they still lost teams like Michigan, Virginia Tech, Florida State, teams that actually were in, like, good competition that made it to the tournament. So I still like Tennessee and the over. Okay. Uh, your favorite game? Yeah, this one's this one's interesting. I so I'm shocked. First off, it's Kentucky and Houston. Kentucky's only a two and a half point favorite, which is definitely related to PJ Washington. If we found out, you tomorrow, don't know that. If we found out tomorrow that PJ Washington was at full go and he's going to be a full participant, that line would move in a hurry. Yeah, well, I mean, agreed. But still, like, it's Kentucky. And I understand Houston's been good for most of the season. But two and a half points? You're just begging for people to bet on it. It's it's related to that Houston. Like I said, it's related to that Houston defense and the fact that Kentucky without P.J. Washington has struggled offensively. I know Abilene Christian is Abilene Christian. But They're I'm good. the Wofford game is definitely on the minds of many. I already said I like Houston to win outright. Yeah. I'm not backing down from that. I thought you were an idiot when you first said that, and now I'm really concerned that you might not be. Um, here's the thing. They... Like, the fact that it's only two and a half, if you're an average better and you see Houston versus Kentucky and you're in the Sweet 16, like, most people are like, oh, yeah, Kentucky. Like, that's that's the brand name. That's the, the team that year in and year out is, is competing for a national championship. The fact that they have less public money on Kentucky at that is very concerning. So yeah, That stat about Houston, too, against the spread is... That, that matters. Eight and one against the spread as an underdog in the last nine games. So... I'm not trying to say Kentucky's going to lose this game because I have Kentucky winning it all. But if you're betting on this, guys, you might want to look at the points for Houston. Um, Also, the under has hit in 12 of the last 15 games for Kentucky. And it's up to, I think, 134.5. Maybe a little teaser in there, huh? A little five points. So Houston plus 7.5 and the the under at 139. The the best play here is the under, I think, in my opinion. Yeah. The under makes a lot of sense. To to get to that point, you would essentially – I mean, you're looking at like a 68-67 type game to hit right. to hit the to hit the over. I, I think the under is, is definitely the play. Yeah, I mean, Kentucky's not there's not a lot of high scoring games recently, um, but Houston can put up some points, right? They're they're known for their defense. Corey Davis is is, is a strong offensive player, but they are they are known for their defense. That yeah. is what has and they're a veteran team too. God, I really wish you didn't pick them. Um, all right, moving on to what I spoke to soon. This I thought was your favorite game: Auburn UNC. This is my favorite game. I think the the spread is the most interesting in Kentucky and Houston. That's let me yeah, say that. That's fair. So Auburn and UNC. I, I mean, like this should be a track meet. Just I'm really excited for this. Will be a track meet, no doubt. It will be. Will be okay. guaranteed. Um. So the remember we talked about this the other day. The over under was like right at 160. I, I said it at 160. And well, we don't have proof of that. You said it to yourself, and then said no, afterwards. I, scouts honor. Um. So, yeah, you brought it up. You've actually been spot on with now, like, in two sports with these preemptively, uh, preemptive lines. It's kind of, kind of freaky. Um, and you don't even gamble, dude. You're not even put it to use. So, 
Kentucky, I'm sorry, yeah, Kentucky. Auburn and UNC, it's gone up to 164. I'm telling you, man. Have some fun and take the over in that game. Just just root for points. <laughs> that's a, no I mean, that's crazy. It's nuts. But that's that's the, the pace that both of these teams play at where right. they just get up a ton of shots and they have guys who can catch fire and have these little three, four-minute spurts where you can go from one TV timeout to the next and they put up 20 points in right. the stretch. Well, it, how many times have we seen like, they can do. like it, a transition defense just get burned by either Harper or, what's the kid, Tony Brown, basically, from uh from UNC, I mean like those two guys oh, are so fast, yeah. yeah. And UNC again, they can score in so many different ways. But you joked about this the other day, the over under on three point attempts. What'd you put it at? Fifty seven. I think fifty five. So Auburn's attempted sixty one um, three pointers in their first two games. <laughs> I knew what I was talking about. Um, the only thing that worries me again, like UNC, is they're the number one rebounding team in the country. They put up so many points, and I just worry that Auburn might get cold. Like, or maybe Harper will just get cold. Like, one player doesn't step up, and they might not be able to have, like, the same kind of offense efficiency because they've shot the three at 40%. Like, they, they've been on fire. 10-0. I don't, I don't think it's the best matchup for Auburn. I don't I, either. I really don't because I think that Auburn can blow teams away that want to slow it down. They want to play in that half-court game. Just and, stop. Like, why do you keep shooting yeah. threes? And they're just brutal to, to try and run with. Yeah. I think they could potentially get into a situation where they start forcing up some shots and they're they're a little bit out of rhythm and it's like, oh, okay, Auburn's right. kind of coming back down to earth a little bit. And you know what? Maybe they don't. Maybe they shoot lights out like they did against I, Kansas, but I think that the bet on, on UNC makes a little bit more sense. And given how high scoring this could potentially be, I still think that UNC could potentially cover that that five. But bet on the over in this game. If you do not yeah. just bet on the over. I, see, I, I think UNC, like that's, I think that's the best bet is them covering five. And I hate to say it because I've really enjoyed watching Auburn. Another thing about Auburn, too, is they've, they've had at least one key player, I feel like, get into foul trouble early in the past like couple games. You can't do that against UNC. Um, Was it Macklemore who got Anthony Macklemore? Did he? No, he's a rapper. (laughs) Uh, No, I know. Like Harper, he's a rapist. uh, He's a rapist. Uh, Harper, like he came out in the first two and a half minutes against uh, Tennessee in the SEC championship game. Oh, that yeah, yeah, yeah. That Um, that completely threw him off. That's right. I don't know. They're just and also so like as much as we've like marveled at the fact that Auburn's gone ten and zero in their past ten games, UNC's got nine and one. The only loss is by one point to Duke. Yeah, they have two losses basically since I think since the new year started. The Donna Times, Virginia, and then yeah, the other was. I'm pulling for Auburn, and I don't like saying it, but uh, all right. Last but not least, LSU, your least favorite team. You had them last in your rankings. Whoa, whoa, whoa! For fun, um, they're a six-point underdog against Michigan State, and what did I put the line here? And the over/under is one forty-six, one forty-eight. LSU is covering that. Yeah. I'm saying it now. I know I said LSU is not going to win this game. Michigan State has the ability to play down to its competition very much. And What's that I supposed to mean? Think, I'm not saying that. Because I, I think Michigan State is still is still the overall better team. And I do think that they have the advantage of the coaching department, especially with five yeah. days to prepare for this. I, I do think that Michigan State should have the advantage. They also, at the same time, could have these stretches where it's like, wait, is Michigan State ever going to figure what this out? Like they're, yeah. down like, they're down like six, seven points, and you're like, where is their next bucket going to come from? And then Matt McQuaid will hit like a corner three. You'll be like, okay, Michigan State is fine. Yeah. And then they eventually get going. But I do think that this game stays close. I think that LSU is able to cover six is a little bit too much. 
See, I think it's the opposite of how the first couple games have gone for LSU. I, I think, like, I don't see them getting a huge lead in the first half. I feel like this is going to be like, like they understand they have to press and finish the game, like the entire game. They can't like have a lapse like they have in the second half. Like, what was it thirteen points they've given up, or what was the? Uh, the they've been outscored by an average of thirteen right. points per second half without Will Wade. Yeah, so I don't, I don't see that happening. And, and Michigan State's had a couple of pretty big second half comebacks. One against Michigan, um, that's like right at the end of the conference tournament. I, I like LSU to cover this. I, I think LSU could possibly win. I'm going to go back a little bit on what I said the other day because here's the reason. Like, we talked about this the other day. I don't think Michigan State, they're a good team. They're, I mean, I definitely think they have the better coach. We talked about that. They've been more consistent throughout the season. LSU just has, I feel like, more star power. Uh, Cassius Winston would probably beg to differ about I'm sure that. he would, but he don't have two other people on his team like LSU does. Nas Reed, yeah, does. basically his predator. All right, we'll see. Yeah, he does. Just not You've always hated LSU he... anyway, so it's fine. No, no, that's upset. I just said LSU's going to cover. I, I would say, though, that maybe the under would be the play here because yeah. I think if you're LSU, by the way, we, we I, I mentioned this the other day about if you're Michigan State and you don't come out in some sort of zone at some point during that game, it's foolish because we saw LSU struggle against right. the zone against Maryland. LSU should be coming out in the zone against Michigan State too, because let's not forget last year Michigan State was had was supposed to have an easy matchup against Syracuse in the second round, mm-hmm. and then it was like they didn't remember that Syracuse. Well, that's only a different zone. zone. I, I, I'm just saying if you're if you're looking to to find ways to slow down Michigan State, if LSU doesn't come out with a zone at some point itself, Tony Benford's going to have some questions yeah. to answer because they were terrible against that zone last year against Syracuse. Like they scored 53 points. I just—I feel like a win like that that they had over Maryland. I would rather have that going to the next round almost than the, like what how Auburn won, and just like catching fire because like again like if if you're off then like that, and you're streaky like I think that's a bigger problem. I, I really, I think it comes down to the fact that LSU's coach loves them, and obviously Michigan State's coach does not like his players, <laughs> and that's my biggest thing. He says a lot of mean words, so that you take a, fourth and wrong. That was such a great fine bomb caller. Uh, imitation. That Did you so see good. him yesterday? Somebody named Vernon called in. I filmed it. They just went back and forth saying, you're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> For like 13 seconds. Oh, Paul. God bless him. God bless him. We'll get him on sometime soon. The restraining order will be lifted eventually. We'll I don't get even to still see have that. Yeah. Think about the people I, who are on that show. I know. I, it is amazing that you still have one. That, that's that's a testament to you, though. You can't stop me, Paul. <laughs> this is <All> right. <laughs> we have, it's been It's been a hot minute since you said that, too. Uh, fourth and wrong. These are three that we got. Uh, we had these the other day. We were going to go with all six the other day, but we decided we we're going to parcel them out a little bit. So we've got three today. First one. I don't know if I have a if I have a clear answer for this. This is from Jeff Underwood. Favorite car? Ford Raptor. No, that's not real. Um, I ah, man, honestly, it's probably going to have to be that Range Rover, that SUV. Call it a SUV. Nope, that is not right. That is no, oh. not at all. Okay. Um, <laughs> what? I just wanted to throw you off. That was good. You did. Um, as I mean, like I, I miss having my Cadillac. I, it was way too much money, and I couldn't afford it. I thought I could. Um, that or like the XLR. It's not a Corvette. It's like anything but a Corvette. Are you talking about, like dream car here? I just favorite car. You know what mine was like growing up? It was a uh, Mitsubishi Eclipse. You want to know how white trash PT I was? Cruiser. I'd like those too. I thought those were cool. No, because I thought no, it looked no. like an old car. I'm like, I was like 14. I didn't know anything. I know. I, I'm disappointed too. Those are ridiculous cars. Every time I see a PT Cruiser, I get angry. Really? Every time? 
Yeah, I'm like, why do you exist? I get mad about um, Chrysler 300s because they don't look like Oh, Bentley. yes, the, the Fentley. The Fentley, yeah, yes. Agreed. Um, yeah. Yeah, my, okay, my favorite car is probably a classic T-Bird. I've always looked at those and been like, ooh. It's a okay. woman's car. It's like a window shopping. So what if it's not a muscle car? Just because it's not a muscle car doesn't mean it, you know, don't give me, don't give me I a didn't say it, I didn't say it every was. Time, every time I see a classic T-Bird, I'm like, dang, girl, that car is nice. I mean, if you get like a like That's a dream car, I'd probably like a like a '60s, like a bucket seat, the suicide doors, like convertible, maybe a like a Impala. That'd be kind of cool. You really want suicide doors? Oh yeah, without a like, if I had enough money, like my ultimate dream of like having disposable income would just be having a weekend car that like I just basically drive around town, and, like make everyone look at me because I look like a pimp. That's it. They don't already in your no, no, no not in the Cadillac. No, no, Cadillac's not doing well. Okay. Yep. All right, number two. Who wins in a fight? Drunk Gary Busey or blind Chuck Norris? That's from Kirk Vickery. That's an incredible question. Unbelievable. Um, I don't mean, Gary Busey's crazy, and you have so much more strength when you're drunk, I think. I, I know I feel like that, I, I bet I do. Um, I mean, I don't, I, I don't think Chuck Norris, him being blind, would really matter. He already has seven senses. If we're talking currently, I'll take I'll take Chuck Norris. I think that's that's pretty, if this pretty is, easy. If this is real life, like we're not making jokes about Chuck Norris, like the whole like all the, like the memes and stuff, I'm taking Gary Busey. Have you ever seen Gary Busey up close? Oh yeah, he's a large human being. So when I worked at like this radio station like seven years ago, he came in to do like an on air interview and I was like in sales, I was just in the elevator with him. He is terrifying looking. Like absolutely terrifying. And you imagine him being drunk as well? I feel like he would he would instantly go into biting you. Like that would be his opening move. Is he he's not that I thought he was a pacifist. I, I mean, I think he's a Christian now, but I, I still think he's a biter. Yeah, I could definitely see yeah. Gary Busey messing up some people while he's drunk for sure. Um, all right, last one. What's the one thing no matter how many times you've already done it that you still get excited about? That's from Jake Gordon. Oh man, you being wrong about LSU fans for the most part. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's like the easy answer is is a uh, football season. So I will I will say two things, okay? And this is gonna I'm gonna regret saying this because this is gonna sound so pathetic. The second one is when. You go to a stadium. This is always my favorite part of going to any game ever. When you're walking down like the tunnel to like, and you yep. first see the field and everything, yep. you take everything in. That is like I'm getting goosebumps just now thinking about. It. That is my absolute favorite thing in all of sports. And, like baseball games, football games, like whatever. It's just such a cool like the breadth of everything that you're taking in is just. Good God, but Rudy, Rudy's dad. Yeah, when he walks in and he's like, "These are the most beautiful thing these eyes have ever seen." Best response ever from his son. He's like, "All right, Dad, let's All go. Right, let's get our seats, <laughs> you let's idiot." Uh, the let's other go. thing is the start of college football season. And I'm not joking when I say this, and I'm going to get made fun of, but I don't really care. This happened last year. It's happened pretty much every year when it happens because this is my absolute favorite thing in the world. It always has been. The past three years in a row, at least, when when college game days come on, which is like the start of the year, and like that, we're coming to your city song, which I hate, Big and Rich. Why are like, big and rich? Because the whole Nike socks thing, we cut up his socks. Like, you see what I did there, Nike? I, and also, I don't like their music. Regardless, I love that song more than anything. I, I've, I've teared up the last three years to a big and rich song. Okay, so you do like big and rich. I like that song because it's, it, it's like college football starting. Like, Allie came out last year. She's like, are you crying? We just got engaged the day before. I didn't cry then. That's a bad look on your part. Probably shouldn't have, yeah, I probably shouldn't have brought it back up either. You took both of mine, by the way. 
Thank yeah, you. Okay, that. sure. No, you actually did. I was going to say walking into a college football stadium. That is the thing that I get excited about every single time. It it never gets old. And I've been to a variety. I've been fortunate enough to be at a variety of places. I've seen some cool venues. Some that you know leaves a little bit to be desired. But Vanderbilt. <laughs> I haven't I haven't seen a game at Vanderbilt. I have soon. Need to. Mm, um, well, I just, I just want to go to Nashville and then, you know, catch the first half of any game and then maybe, like, hit downtown Nashville or something like that yeah. when the game's over. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think that going into a college football stadium, as cliche as it is, it's goosebumps, man. There's just awesome. there's, There are very few things like it. NFL stadiums don't compare. No. That, that and just going into Wrigley Field, to me, is always... Yeah, Wrigley's kind of cool. Yeah, it's kind of cool. But it's cathedral of baseball. It's Wrigley. the second best stadium. I mean, it's cool. Like, I do like Wrigley. It's it, I just think... I mean, Fenway's better, but... That's a different discussion for a different time. We've got one for It Might Mean Too Much. This came... Okay, so you know how um, the Michael Scott writes on the board, uh, you miss 100% <laughs> of the shots you don't take, Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. This is um, <laughs> this is Matt Jones via Adam Spencer. So Matt Jones, Kentucky Sports Radio, every Kentucky fan knows who Matt Jones is. Uh, he posted this picture on Twitter, and it's of this, this wedding in the state of Kentucky where the corner you could tell like the ceremony is going on and in the corner there's a tv and what's on that tv it's the kentucky waffer game of <laughs> horse and you can you can kind of see the the backs of people's heads and it looks like people are kind of turned to it and it's in the I'm corner sure. and it's got this it's got like the the person who took the picture uh they they got they call like a, a shot it looks like cal is like yelling on the sideline right so there's maybe a little bit more interest i don't know what at what point of the game it was but I would expect nothing less. I'd be surprised if the TV was off, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's fair. Um, can I add one? Yeah, go Real ahead. quick. So this is probably my favorite thing um, of the week. I've been, so we've been working on this other project. We'll tell you about it later. But where we're just going through social media and seeing the funniest and best and worst things people have written. So Governor Kay Ivey from the state of Alabama, this is the governor, took a picture with Aubie the Tiger and tweeted, oh, yeah. congratulations to the Auburn men's basketball team and Coach Bruce Pearl for their dominant win last night to make it to the Sweet 16. We're all rooting for you back home in Alabama. War Eagle. And the responses that she got from Bama fans, like not just the Bama Bama fans, if you understand what I'm saying, but like people that I thought were better than that. Um, Ryan Fowler, is <laughs> a guy, um, he has his like own radio show in Alabama. He flat out said, I would pull for Saudi Arabia before I pulled for Auburn. So speak for yourself. And like too much. Yeah. 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 I don't even know. Do we still have beef with Saudi Arabia? That's anyway. I just always assume we have beef with Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, How many over under? Okay, so over under six hundred fifty roll tides in the replies alone. Oh, I don't think any of them said roll tide. They had too much hate. Too much hate to say roll tide. That's. I mean, it's just it's just all about how to hate Auburn. Like this, like, yeah, but like, usually you say it like you hate Auburn and then a, a roll tied at the end of it. It you just know? like comes out. That's fair, yeah. Okay, I, I, I didn't look, but probably probably be over. I'm sorry. I just I just gotta say it. Paul. I know I, I should say it. I know roll I damn tied. <laughs> That'll never get old. No, all time. All right, we don't have any five star reviews, to guys. I'm over it. So it's been know? since March 9th. What <laughs> the last, hell? Our last five star review came from Cuckboy. <laughs> Cuckboy69 is the last or, person the way, to leave. Cuckboy. I, I mis- I'm re- yeah, I mispronounced his name. It's Cuck Bois. I'm glad that you so. took Guy Fieri and Cuck Bois. I'm glad that you take the time to make sure you pronounce their names right. Um, yeah, I'm over it, guys. I'm really over it. I want. Otherwise, I'll just I'll make my own. I won't do that. Don't do that. 
Can you do leave that? A, That's weird. Leave us a five-star review. Make sure that you're subscribing. Tell your friends to subscribe to us as well. We want to get all of those pods into your feed on a regular basis, not having yeah. to search it out. No, I want to download this episode, that episode. Just have all of them. Do and plus the fact that sports, sports winding down now, like like basketball season coming to an end, spring football is, is in the middle of it, but that means we get to start having some fun. we got office episodes. I mean, we're oh, that's fun. coming up. That's yep. coming up. Make sure that you are voting in that every single day. We are going to continue to roll out our Sweet 16 matchups. I know you're really upset that it doesn't yeah. look it like It doesn't really matter relief. to bring it up right now because it'll be over by the time this airs. I know. Yeah, Future Us is going to know whether or not Stress Relief pulled off the comeback victory. But I might right lose now, my job. Oh, looking great. But anyways, make sure that you are voting in that. Make sure that you are watching Facebook Live every Monday night at 8.30 p.m. Continue to take screenshots of your office bracket, send it to us, follow us on all of our social media accounts to stay updated on that, at SDS on Instagram, at SDS on Twitter, at CMarlerSDS, at CJ O'Gara, at the SDS Coach O, I know you're, are you still in Cuba, Coach O? Oh, I'm down here in Cuba. I'm are you able to, are you, put, all right, put down the Red Bull Arita, whatever, the, Red Bull Alada. Red Bull Alada, come Red Bull a lot, and I had a lot of them. I assume nothing wants to coach. Um, what do we need your Monday? It might mean too much. Talk to you on Monday. Salt life. <laughs>